Hey team, you're about to listen to my interview with Jess Mayer, the co-founder and CEO of Wonderment. Wonderment is a post-purchase platform designed specifically for e-commerce merchants, and it encompasses things like post-purchase tracking of shipments, and it provides a tracking page for the customer, provides proactive alerts if anything goes wrong during the shipment process, provides reporting and analytics for merchants, email and uh, SMS messages for customers, and one-click integrations with many, many other platforms like Klaviyo and Shopify. This is the E-Commerce Edge Podcast with your host, Jason Greenwood. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I have another cracking guest lined up for you today. I have Jess Mayer, and she is the CEO and co-founder of Wonderment. Welcome to the podcast, Jess. Thank you for having me. Let's rock and roll. Uh, I'm so excited to have you here. You were actually recommended to me on one of my posts where I was saying, who should I get on the podcast next to talk about their tech and what they're doing in the world of e-commerce. And you were recommended a couple of times. So you got a lot of friends in the community. I'm flattered, but let's lower expectations for your listeners. <laughs> Make sure. But thank you. No, excited to be here. Uh, it's really exciting. I love doing this podcast because I get to speak to people that are passionate about their technology. I get to speak with people that are passionate about the industry and trying to move the needle for merchants. And you guys are really trying to do that in a unique way, which we'll get to in a minute here. But I want to just talk about of how you got here. And you're, you're, you don't just have this technology. You're not just the leader of a business, but you also help other. You're an investor with TBD Angels. You're also a founder of Girl Capital Startup Advisor and Mentor, mentor with Techstars. So you not only work in the industry, but you give back to the industry. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. My one of my loves and my passions are for startups. And I work for startups. I've worked for technology companies. I've also worked at a brand. And it's just always been a love and a passion of mine. I unfortunately don't spend as much time advising these days just because I'm 110% all in wonderment right now. But I think what's really wonderful is now I'm spending a lot of that advising time on our customers and the brands that we work with. My background is primarily working marketing and SaaS companies. I spent a number of years at companies like HubSpot, where we grew that company from about 18 million to over 200 million in revenue and through the IPO. I take very little credit for that. I'm just happy to be part of the journey. And that is where I met my now co-founder, Brian, who we worked very early at the HubSpot days. And he spent about four years early at Clavio before we started this company. And so we both had a mutual passion for e-commerce, mutual passion for startups, decided it was time to go on our own entrepreneurial journey and start this company of our own. And we've been doing that since 2020. I'm just really fortunate and glad that this is what we can do now. Yeah, it's, it, look, it's an exciting time. And it's always great to have people coming into the tech space around e-commerce that actually fully understand some of the real key challenges that merchants face on a day-to-day -day operational basis in the trenches every single day, trying to serve customers, trying to differentiate, trying to create a great customer experience. It's hard. Work is hard. I know because I've worked with merchants and, and at merchants before, and I know what's involved in trying to create a truly differentiated customer experience that actually stands out positively in the customer's mind. And that sounds like exactly what you're trying to contribute to with wonderment as a, a, a shipping man, if I was to put it under an umbrella, as I understand what you guys do, put it under shipping management umbrella and making sure that the fulfillment phase 
of the customer journey lifecycle is as good as it can possibly be. That's correct. We do sit primarily in the post-purchase journey. How I describe it is we like to turn problems into purchases. Because we started the company in the beginning of 2020, that's when COVID became a thing and the supply chain became like the most common like topic of every news story out there. And we were just hearing time and time again that uh, the thing that was keeping merchants up at night was around all of these shipping issues that they were having because it was the one part of their business that was really out of their control. Once you give a box to a carrier and if something happens to that, you can blame the carrier, but we all know that consumers blame the brand, right? They blame the merchant for that. And that was really hard for them to manage and for them to deal with. So we built a platform that, that gives them more visibility when things are going wrong, to be proactive around those issues, and then to take action on them so they can deliver better customer experiences. But before we even decided to build that technology, we always had a thesis that the post-purchase, the retention, the customer experience side of the e-commerce equation was going to become more important over the next decade than the previous decade. I think if you look at the previous generation of D2C brands, really fueled by Google, by Facebook, by early like loyalty influencer, and all those things are still true today. But I always questioned, and this is my background coming in SaaS, why wasn't retention more of a focus? Why weren't there more tools in that, especially since showing healthy LTV growth is super, super important for any business. And we really believe that was a blue ocean opportunity. And that's what led us to where we are today. And it's something I've always been passionate about, whether that's in e-commerce or other companies, you have to have great customer service. You have to have great customer support. And what's a better way than to be a hero for your customer? And it's also great for customer success professionals. It can, it's a hard job and nobody wants to deal with complaints all day. So we just want to make that easier for them. And I think you're attacking one of the really key vectors of pain for merchants, which is the Wismo ticket, right? And everybody in the industry knows what that is, but it's where is my order? And that is in some instances that can be up to 50% of the tickets that a merchant will be dealing with on any given day, whether that be through live chat, whether that be through help desk, whether that be through phone calls, whether that be channels, whether that be through social, social DMs. WhatsApp, whatever, however, whatever channels they support their customers through, oftentimes Wismo tickets will be a significant portion of the effort that a customer service team will be putting in proactively with customers on a daily basis. And that adds up to ultimately at the end of the day, a huge amount of money that's being spent just keeping customers up to date where an order is, particularly where an order takes a little bit longer than the customer expects or takes longer than what the merchant has promised the customer that it will take. And so therefore, it feels because you really are taking a high level of ownership of that post-purchase journey in terms of shipment updates, but you're going beyond that that standard order tracking app where maybe they can click through to the shippers portal where they can put in their tracking details and get an update. You allow the merchant to be a lot more proactive in the sense that you're integrating with the carriers, you're getting real-time updates from them, and then you're proactively publishing information direct to the customer. And I think to me, that feels like such an important part of the customer journey where some customers can feel like their order fell into a black hole once they've paid their money. Absolutely. We give merchants control over this part of the journey that they haven't had much control over before. And a lot of what you just said also came from my own 
frustrations as a consumer, having dealt with a lot of that back and forth. And I just knew there had to be a better way. And if you think about companies like Amazon, for example, there's a reason why people still shop on Amazon. It's easy, but then also you trust that if something goes wrong, Amazon will take care of it for you. You don't have to get in a support battle with anyone and they just take care of it. And so we thought, hey, well, that can exist more for even small businesses. And how do we enable that? But I think the cost that you mentioned on the Wismo ticket side, yes, there's a hard cost, but there's also what I consider like a soul sucking cost, which is like the emotional toll it takes on people ha having to deal with that. That's not where they want to spend their time. They want to spend their time more in, in those delightful conversations. And this is why support is typically seen as a cost center. And we believe it can be a revenue driving center for businesses. And that's what we're trying to transform. And I think you, you take it one step further as well, because you, I guess, help the merchant to have insights into shipping performance of their individual carriers in ways and, and via analytics in ways that they oftentimes aren't tracking themselves because they, they aren't necessarily directly connected to the carrier APIs through their ERP and making sure that the service standards that they've agreed with the carriers are being met or are being met 80% of the time or 50% of the time or whatever it might be so that they can hold their carriers accountable for the service levels that they've agreed to and paid for, but also so that they can swap out carriers if necessary, if they're routinely not meeting the service standards that they expect for themselves and for their customers. And so it feels like you're bringing a level of insight and data to their business that is hard to get in other ways. Yes. What person would be really excited to think about? How do I connect all of these APIs and pull in all of these services and blah, blah, blah. We've actually spoken with merchants that say, oh, I'm just going to go build this. I'll, I'll figure it out. It can't be that hard. Once you realize how dirty shipping data is, you wait a minute, I don't actually want to do with this. And so a lot of the hard work behind the scenes is we aggregate, normalize, clean all of that data. We just want to not have that the merchant worry about that type of complexity. And I would say logistics in general is super complicated, right? And I think any folks in the operational side of the business have a very challenge, challenging job. And we just want to, we want to make it easier for them. We want the cost to make sense for them because all of these things are things that they should not have to worry about. And some of the other things that you do that I think are really smart is you have some really important key integrations with platforms like Clavia, which oftentimes many merchants will own the transactional email sending. It will send the UGC requests. Clavio kind of becomes that all-encompassing platform for all sorts of customer communication, not just aim-based communications. And as a result of that, by integrating with platforms like Clavio, for example, you once you know and your platform knows that a, that a product has actually been delivered successfully to the customer, then you can create the delays in your system, then send out the triggered review requests, which are commonly sent by Clavio in that scenario. You by with your integration, I'm assuming that you can then become the trigger for a lot of these follow-up emails because you have the knowledge of when an order is actually delivered as opposed to simply setting a delay in something like Clavio in that workflow and say, let's delay by five days or let's delay by 10 days after an order is shipped. And we'll just assume that the customer has received that product and had a chance to try it before we request a review. Whereas with you, you know when the customer has received or not received a product and therefore you can send out these triggered notifications via the marketing automation platform of choice that the merchant is using. You got it, you're a pro, Jason. Yeah, and if you think about it as a simple use case and a simple example of how often I hear 
merchants say, oh, the customers complained because we've asked for a review even before they've gotten the box. <laughs> That's a shitty experience. And if you think about how often that happens across so many other points of the customer journey, it's like crazy, right? And so what we learned via like integrations, and this is part of our founding principles is being integration first, being really well integrated with the Shopify ecosystem was super important to us. And our Klaviyo integration, our PostScript attentive gorgeous integration were actually some of the first features that we built because we understood the importance of those integrations in building a unified customer experience. Why should all of these other platforms be sending either email, SMS notifications to customers in so many different places? And so even if you think about what Shopify is sending by default to customers, they're great, they do the job, they're transactional, wonderful, and they're important, but as a merchant, you can't measure them, you can't A-B test them, you don't know when in the customer journey they've received those communications from a support perspective, I think it's really important for them to know, did customers get this? When, they, when did they get this message? All of that. And we just said, hey, we're not going to send these ourselves. We're going to build best-in-class integrations with communication platforms. Have them. They're the best at sending messages, right? We're the best at the shipping data. So we want to stick to that and just make integrations with other platforms easy. So again, merchants have full control of that customer experience. And how often are you bumping into carriers that maybe, for example, you don't yet integrate with? How often are you running into that want to use your platform, but they're using some, I don't know, maybe they're using a local carrier service for local deliveries or something like that. And so you don't necessarily yet have an integration with those carriers. And how do you deal with that? Are you able to onboard new carriers into your platform pretty quickly based on the patterns that you've built out with all the other carriers that you already have integrations with? Or in some cases, those carriers may not even have an API endpoint. And so therefore, I don't know, maybe you have to maybe you have to suck down a CSV from them or something like that. So I'm guessing that you have many ways and methods of connecting to these, in some cases, very niche carriers for your merchant. Yeah, we, we get requests, surprisingly, like all the time. I guess it's not surprising because if you think about the carrier network is actually more fragmented than most people realize. You always think of the big four or five, right? USPS, UPS, DHL, FedEx, et cetera. What we discovered is those major networks cover already about like 80% of overall shipping volume that happens at least domestically in the US. And for every other country, there's typically a primary carrier. We have built our technology to make carrier integration super fast and easy. That being said, uh, we choose to only focus on certain types of carriers and networks because of the quality of the data we get back from the carrier themselves. For example, what we've learned is some carriers in, let's say, South Africa, we can integrate with, but the quality of the data we get back from them is not great. And so we say, hey, you know what? We want to focus on really the carriers that we can get great data from, because even if we build an integration with them, we're not going to deliver on our promise on being able to actually give you better quality data in the first place. So we have chosen to exclude certain markets for that reason. And I hope that someday we can get there once the carriers improve their own APIs. But we cover 80, 90% of the top carriers all around the world. And that's where we also find the majority of, of Shopify merchants tend to ship through anyway. But on occasion, we do get requests from merchants to build integrations with new carriers that they're working with. And we're very open to that. We do that for our existing customers. 
And I guess that gives, if you have to turn a merchant down, for example, because the carry that they use just doesn't have the data available, or maybe they don't have an API endpoint to access that data or whatever it might be, I guess that gives the merchant then some leverage or some firepower to go back to that carrier and say, hey, look, guys, we want to continue working with you, but we either aren't going to be able to, or we really need you to be able to bring this functionality to the table because we want to implement this platform called Wonderment, which is going to dramatically improve our customer experience, but they won't integrate with you unless XYZ kind of minimum level of requirements is ticked off. You guys need to go away and build this for us if you want to continue working with us. So I guess in some respects, it helps to give the merchant some ammunition to go and talk to their carrier and say, hey, look, guys, this just isn't good enough. As of 2023, we need to have a conversation. Absolutely. We have had merchants do that and we do provide them with that ammo and like best practices that they should consider that all brands follow today. It's on the, especially if they want to work with their 3PL. We have had a couple of occasions where their 3PL doesn't talk to Shopify very well. And we're like, hey, if you want to be a really successful 3PL in the Shopify ecosystem, here's what you need to actually do for your brands. And that's been super helpful for them. Yeah, it makes complete sense. I would want some kind of ammunition to go and talk to my carrier because oftentimes these carriers, they think that maybe they own a market or they own a vertical or they own a region. And so they don't necessarily have massive incentive to change their the way that they do things for one merchant. But if effectively they can go to this merchant, they could say, hey, look, we're going to potentially open up some additional market or help you open up some additional markets. If your platform now works for Wonderment, then now that becomes listed carrier that is supported by Wonderment. And therefore, that can be another form of lead gen for you guys uh, as a carrier. And so I think that's really important to be able to facilitate that dialogue between merchants and carriers, merchants and 3PL, 4PLs, et cetera, as a, good, as a good member of the ecosystem, so to speak. You want those carriers to, be, to care about the ecosystem that they're trying to service and understand why they should add these additional services, which might be there's some additional development time. They need to put some investment behind the way that they're sending out communications or delivering it on an API endpoint. So there is some investment in, involved there. And so if they can have an additional incentive other than just that one individual merchant, then I think that adds additional weight and credence to that conversation. So look, good on you for being a good steward of shipping as part of the e-commerce ecosystem. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. It's definitely an uphill battle because I think the challenge is carriers are not technology companies. And so even then for, the, for them to prioritize it or have the in-house resources, it's, it just takes time, right? They don't move as fast. But what we do know is that they are all looking for ways to differentiate at the end of the day, they all send packages and how they differentiate is really based upon cost. But if we can give them another way to say, hey, we can help bring you into the future and we can help give you more eyeballs and better customer sentiment on your service, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for the edge. And so we can help give them that. And how do you guys consider yourselves, like how do you differentiate your own service? So many tracking platforms out there. There's so many returns management platforms out there, loop returns. It feels like there's like a hundred apps in the Shopify app store. There's parcel perform. There's, it just feels like this space feels to me and from the outside looking in, crowded space. Every platform vendor seems to try to create this better post-purchase experience for customers. And in you guys, because you guys are trying to also create a differentiated service that makes your service stand out versus all the others, what do you feel like is your unique selling point or what is the thing that you're trying to deliver to the market that you said, hey, there's such a gap here, 
we feel like we're the only ones that can fill it. Yeah, you're not wrong about how many apps there are out there. And I think as I was coming more up to speed on the Shopify ecosystem, I'm like, holy cow, there's a lot of apps. How the hell are merchants making their decisions on this stuff? And so what we realized is we can't go to market by just copying and cloning somebody else or being 5% five per better than something else that already exists out there. We had to think about building something different. And the way that we did that is by really focusing on merchant pain. How I would describe Wonderment is we are a proactive customer experience platform. Order tracking just happens to be a portion of that. It is not the only thing. We have focused on, again, identifying those potential post-purchase issues and then being able to create automation and predictive analytics around that to make that easier. That's where we specialize. What we realized from existing tools in the market is they all did the same stuff. They all notified a customer when the order was out for delivery, when it got delivered, fine and dandy, great. But none of them were pointing out the specific orders or the specific customers that were either about to have a really hard time or about to complain and to prevent those. And so one thing that we do that's unique is we will also tell the merchant situations that the carrier isn't necessarily telling them, right? So the carrier will always tell the merchant when something is in transit or when it's out deliver when it's out for delivery. But what happens when it's stuck in transit? What happens when it's not going to get delivered on time? Most carriers do not want to admit when a package is going to be late or when it's lost. They usually like to wait a while before they claim that something is actually lost or stuck somewhere. So we wanted to give merchants more real-time data on that. And so we specialize in actually telling them the things the carriers don't want to tell them. And how do you guys do that if the information is not available directly via, for example, the carrier API? Because as you say, carriers want to, to a degree, maybe bluff their way through the process to, to make themselves look better and maybe not highlight proactively challenges that they're having in their own networks and in their own delivery systems. However, I'm guessing that after, especially after you've worked with a carrier for a lengthy period of time, you've been connected with a carrier for a lengthy period of time, you start to develop through your maybe machine learning algorithms, et cetera, you start to work out what is an average delivery time for a specific carrier or service between a certain origination point and a destination point. And so when you know, for example, a shipment that, that you're well aware of, okay, this shipment should typically take, say, three days, for example, with this particular carrier from this region to this region. Okay, we're now five days out. That parcel hasn't arrived. It's a pretty good bet that they're having some challenges around this delivery and either it's lost or it's been delayed in the system or the merchant may need to proactively follow up with the carrier on this, whatever. So I'm guessing that you guys have built up a very strong database of both carriers and carrier networks so that you guys have a pretty good understanding of how long things should take versus how long things are actually taking. Yep, yeah, exactly. We have tracked millions upon millions of shipments. We understand trends. Like for example, if we see a order that goes through certain hubs of certain carriers, let's say like through Atlanta or there's I think one hub in particular in Oregon, most cases will be delayed by three days but the carrier doesn't even know that. <laughs> but we know that. So we can catch that. I think the other thing that's going to be more interesting that we're working on is not only carriers and service level trends, but also customer trends that are tied with that. For example, if some of our customers and some of our brands sell products where the sensitivity of when customers need that product is higher. 
for example, companies that sell, let's say, prom dresses, right? If you have customers that are ordering that in April or May, they're going to need that product really fast and you're going to have a lot of angry customers. So we can understand sensitivity around customers' expectation on that product and marry that with like other trends. We can also give that merchant better data and better control over those experiences. And so the shipping data is great, but combining that with actual like the customer data is where things really start to click. And is that something that when a merchant is being onboarded into your system, that they can set rules around those sensitivity levels to delays and they can set those rules in your platform? Whereas for some, for some brands and some products, a delay of a week is not considered a big deal because I don't know, maybe it's furniture and it's large and it has to go with bulk carriers and people aren't expecting it overnight. So that's something that the merchant through the onboarding process is helping you better understand about how they run their business. Yes, all of that logic is customizable. Another good example is domestic versus international customers. International customers kind of expect delays to happen more often, especially when they're receiving a package from the United States. And so they can set different timing, different logic on that. So effectively controlling the thresholds whereby customer service needs to start getting involved. Yes, yep. And so another common use case is if a consumer buys expedited shipping, like through the checkout, let's say two-day FedEx shipping, if that package is not going to arrive in two days or if it hasn't arrived after two days, usually the, the CS team will want to get an alert that the package hasn't arrived yet and either automatically refund the customer their shipment or check in on the shipment or even reship them something if they don't think it's going to actually arrive or get lost. So that's like one, one small example. But yes, there's many different ways that they want to set those thresholds. And I'm guessing that there are some instances where they want to actually segment their own customer database from separate super high value customers down to maybe lower value customers or first time customers or, you know, what there's all sorts of ways that merchants segment their database and they might have a set of VIPs that where those customers will always get, for example, maybe they always get two day shipping or maybe they always get free shipping or maybe they always get some sort of expedited fulfillment process inside the business, even at pickpack dispatch time. A lot of businesses will want to be more proactive with the quote unquote VIP tier because those customers are so incredibly valuable to the business. So how do you guys manage that? How do you manage the way in which the brand segments their customers and maybe wants to create a slightly differentiated customer experience for those customers versus else, the rats and mice, so to speak? How are you integrating with their systems to better understand that and act accordingly? Yeah, that that is something that we do recommend, we do suggest that when merchants start with us, just to keep it simple for now, because sometimes there's a lot of over complexity that happens when it comes to segmentation, like too much segmentation too early. But yep. I think even recognizing your best customers is a best practice. And that's what drives me crazy personally, like as a consumer, when I buy things from brands and all I get is the same old, here's our next, here's our next discount. There's been no association, like how often I've actually bought from you and things like that. And I actually had a situation where I ordered something online from a brand just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I had no real communication on when it was going to ship. And I'm like, dude, I bought like 20 other items from you in the past. I'm probably like your top 1% of customers. And I've gotten like no recognition on that. So I do think it's important, especially if you're looking to build up your loyalty program. And I, I also call like proactive CX, the new loyalty, right? And about how you treat your customers. But that is something that is definitely part of our onboarding. But we try to keep it simple for start. And then we can say, here are all like the cool stuff you can add on top of this now that you actually have this data. Makes complete sense. Makes complete sense that a lot of brands, they aren't even doing 
the basics. And so yes, that's, start where, that's, that, yeah, that's where we need to, that's, we need to absolutely create a rock solid operational core. And wonderment sounds like it can become a really critical part of that, particularly in that post-purchase journey. Now, in terms yeah. of the way you and guys, just by the way, just on that, before you get in, involved in over segmenting, one of the most powerful emails that we, or even an SMS that we add, we suggest adding to their mix in the post-purchase journey. is just notifying the customer when there's a, when there's a delay on their order. So that's not over segmenting anything. That's not overthinking it. Just give them peace of mind. Just give them an update, reduces the amount of support tickets they're getting. And surprisingly, we see a, a decent size repeat purchase rate from giving bad news. And by doing that, it just makes your brand go above and beyond. And it's great for both saving costs and also making more revenue. It's interesting that you bring that point up. I've talked in multiple instances on this podcast about what I call the importance of service recovery and the fact that customers expect things to go right when they purchase through you. They just, they expect that when I'm buying something, everything's going to go perfectly. It's going to go flawlessly. And when it does go flawlessly, that's not necessarily that memorable to the customer because that's what they simply got what they paid for. And so sometimes having something go wrong and proactively dealing with that in a way that absolutely stands out in the customer's mind as being, wow, this is the most amazing experience. Despite something going wrong, they have handled this so proactively and so well and made me feel so good about this. That purchase experience actually stands out more in their mind than if nothing goes wrong end to end, which is just what they expected out of the box anyway. And so I think actually service recovery is a way that we can create differentiation in our customers' minds. Yeah, even if something is not necessarily quote unquote going wrong, I think even just checking in with the cons with the customer and just letting them know that they're not forgotten is really important. I actually had ordered a product from a cosmetics brand. I received it. Everything was fine. Everything was smooth. No issues. But then I got an email from the customer service person and said, hey, guess what? I think you actually got a batch of our products that maybe sat on the shelf too long. We don't think it's good enough. We're going to send you another one. So I had wow. no idea something was even wrong, but they, the fact that they did that and I got like another free product, so I'm like, holy cow, like that, that to me is above and beyond customer experience. Wow. That is an awesome example of, again, standing out positively in the customer's mind when things went theoretically right, but now you have an opportunity to create a scenario where they're even more memorable than if you just received perfect product and there was no issues and there was no need for that brand to follow up with you. Now, the fact that there was a need for them to follow up with you proactively, that's going to probably stand out more in your mind than, and the fact that you've brought it up right now tells me that it, that actually stands out more in your mind than everything went perfectly and there was never any issue. Yeah. Two reasons that people recommend product companies, they love the product and they feel that they've gotten good service. They can trust. And I really believe that trust is a new form of marketing and consumers need more of that. And there's, especially with how much choice there's, there is <laughs> to buy things now, I think just showing that you're human and that you care goes a long way. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Now, when we start thinking about how you guys make your money, you are a SaaS platform that plugs into these e-commerce platforms and provides this service as an app. And you have, from what I can tell, you've got three basic tiers that are part of your platform. And this is how you make your money. And it's based on really the number of shipments that you're assisting with or supporting, right? And so tier one is 500 shipments or less a month. Tier two is 2,000 shipments a month or less. And then basically for brands that are 2,000 or more shipments a month, we're starting to get into the more enterprise end of the scale. And that's your kind of top tier. And within each of those tiers, they get 
each merchant gets a little bit more service in terms of both what the platform can do as well as the level of service that you provide and support that you provide to them. So on the highest level of tiering, you get that white glove onboarding, you get dedicated support, Shopify flow integration. So you get you get quite a lot of stuff when you get up to that really bigger end of town. But when we think about how merchant would actually pay for your services, how do they pay and what do they get charged? Yeah. And so I'll say first and foremost, a caveat, our pricing is changing. So everything that we might even discuss might be outdated even five minutes from now. But also as a SaaS company, we're always learning and we're always trying like new pricing and packaging. So I think the thing is things will change, but I'll tell you like with our principles about how we think about SaaS pricing is I think two things. We need to make sure that we associate the value that we're giving to merchants to to, to the price of the platform. And that's what we're always experimenting with is how do we make sure that we drive more value? Our pricing right now is based on a merchant's essentially number of shipments they're doing in a given month. I don't love that, to be honest with you. And I think we're finding a new way to make sure that we marry the product pricing to the value that we're giving the merchants versus like our unit economics, right? The reason we charge that way is because for every order we track, we have to pay money like to service that, right? And so pricing scales with us so that we are a business so that we continue to make money. I think we're rethinking new ways to do that. Luckily with Brian having come from Clavio, Our method is we just want to make it easy for people to buy and use and get value, right? So most of our pricing is all month to month. If you want to do any contract for more predictability, you can, but we don't want to force people into contracts. We want to keep things easy. We want to keep things flexible. We want every merchant to have a part of the platform that grows with them. And then we all, we obviously care about support. So every merchant gets great support. We don't, just because you're a small merchant doesn't mean we don't care less about you. If anything, we want to support you even more because you know, you're growing and you're a startup. And so that that white glove is always going to be part of that experience. We want to make sure that you're well supported. And just very high level, umbrella level, because I understand it's it sounds like what you're going to maybe move to is more of a minimum fixed fee per month, which is that SaaS platform fee, because there's obviously a fee to host the platform. And then from there, maybe a per shipment fee. But as of today, just so merchants can wrap their heads around how much it's likely to cost them for your service, what would they be paying roughly per shipment for your service as of today, knowing that is likely to change? Yeah, it all depends on their size. We do have a price per shipment that scales. So the larger the brand is, the the more shipments they're doing, the less per shipment cost. So I'd say go to our website, you can get all that pricing there. Okay, cool. Fantastic. And what if you were to look out, say over the next, say, 6, 12, 18 months, is there anything that your customers are asking for today from a functional perspective that you don't yet have or offer in the platform? Or is there something that's super high on your priority list that you say, hey, we don't do this today, but in the next six months, I really want to be able to offer this this new service to your customers? What's on your roadmap, if you can talk about, that is super important for you guys? Oh, oh boy. This is where I could get in trouble. And this is where Brian would say, don't. so I want to build everything and I want to support our customers. And I we are so lucky. We have the best customers. The ones that give us the most feedback and the most requests are the ones like I appreciate the most because the more that we understand what they're looking for, the more we can help them. So I think, as I mentioned, there's a couple key things. One is we're just scratching the surface on how on all the different areas of a business that we can be more proactive CS can come more of a play. So we've, I think, built a really solid foundation in the order tracking space. I think building workflow automation on top of the data that we have is going to be really interesting. I think doing some things more pre-purchase 
to help with building customer confidence is something that we are exploring TBD on that. But I think we have some really exciting things that, that are going to be coming over the next six months. And it looks like you, as of today, you've got a Shopify app that works with Shopify and Shopify Plus. Are there any other e-commerce platforms that you already have apps and integration? I'm talking specifically e-commerce platforms now. Are there any other e-commerce platforms that you already have an app or an integration with? Or is there are there any other e-commerce platforms that are super high on your radar to get some integrations rolled out to in the near future? Forms meaning like big commerce, WooCommerce, things like that? Correct. Not at this time. We have decided to be 100% focused on Shopify, especially for the next 12 months. I think over time that will change. We do have APIs, and I think that would make it easier for other storefronts to use Wondermint technology. But for now, we just have so much more to build just in this ecosystem and so much more good work to do. So that's what we're focused on. Makes sense. Got to prioritize when you're a when you're a SaaS platform. You can do everything, but you sometimes you end up doing nothing in that scenario. So I totally understand the need to prioritize based on where you see the market headed. I'm trying to skate to where the puck is going to be. It makes complete focus, sense. Focus, focus is the best strategy. <laughs> yeah, it, I think in many cases, especially for SaaS platforms, what you say no to is even more important than what you say yes to. 100%. Yeah, totally. Listen, Jess, we're just about coming to the end of our time together, and I really appreciate you sharing all about not only the Wonderment platform, but also that post-purchase journey and experience that merchants should be focused on as basically a significant part of their retention plan. Now, we're at the time where I get to flip the script and turn the microphone over to you, and I get, you to, I get to let you ask me one question, any question you like. It can be personal, it can be professional. So I'd love to turn the microphone over to you. Jess Mayer from Wonderment, what is your question for me? I would love to know what type of conventional wisdom does everyone talk about in this space that you think is broken? Wow, that's such a fabulous question. I think that when I'm guessing that you guys primarily deal with D2C brands, Shopify is a famous D2C, B2C platform. And I think that a lot of D2C brands out there, they have so focused on D2C that they have completely neglected the distribution as a core part of their strategy. So they focused on margin. That's oftentimes why D2C brands are D2C is because they want to capture the wholesale and retail margin at retail by going direct to the consumer and not have to pay distributors or wholesalers you know, a, a portion of their margin. But I think what they have missed out on or what they're forgetting or neglecting or ignoring to their detriment is distribution and being able to get in front of more customers without having to pay for every single one of those acquisitions themselves directly. And so what I think a lot of DDC brands are slowly starting to realize is that they may need to establish a B2B channel as well. They may need to establish that complementary channel. Sure, they may hemorrhage a little bit of margin by selling at wholesale prices to, to other retailers or to other brands, but the cost to do that is oftentimes less than the cat cost of going direct to consumer in the first place. And so I think, and it, it also exposes their brand to a whole lot more consumers in the process or has the opportunity to. And so I think that assuming that you as a D2C brand can get in front of every single potential customer across all channels all the time, I think that's the ultimate hubris. And I think that's actually broken the back of a lot of D2C brands. I mean, we're seeing the potential failure of Allbirds and a whole bunch of other D2C brands that have gone alone for a very long time. And it, it smacks of a level of almost arrogance to me when I see that, when they just flatly refuse to do business with other brands that could sell their products on their behalf. And so I think 
I think that's the conventional wisdom for a lot of DTC brands is, hey, we want to retain all that beautiful margin for ourselves and we want to control the customer experience to the nth degree across every single channel. And I think that attitude, I'm slowly starting to see a change, but it's not happening fast enough for a lot of DTC brands to save them. Yeah, I think it's taken some time to realize that D2C is it's just a channel, right? It's not the whole business. But I also think that there is a another learning here, which is don't, it's like the shiny object syndrome, right? Just because something works for somebody doesn't mean it works for you. And just do you as a brand, like being different is actually also a good thing. And knowing when to scale. I, we've heard a lot of I've heard a lot of horror stories about wanting to develop all of these wholesale relationships, getting these large purchase orders and then not being able to fulfill them. So obviously make sure that you don't run your own costs into the ground. But I do think that distribution in particular is really important. I really love the story about Hero Cosmetics, where they actually started on Amazon and they use that to understand like product market fit and getting a lot of early distribution. And then they built their D2C, but then they use the, they use the two in unison. It's not like one versus the other. It's like, how do they grow them together? And I think that's, that's been work. That's been working for them. Could not agree more. Listen, how would you prefer that people get a hold of you, find out about you? Is it best for them to go to wonderment.com? And I'll just spell that out for people that want to find out more. W-O-N-D-E-R-M-E-N-T.com. They can obviously get sign up for a demo there, et cetera. Would you prefer them just to go to your website and go that route? Would you prefer that people reach out to you on LinkedIn? How should people get a hold of you? Yeah, definitely. Website's the best bet just so that you're connected with the best person on our team. You can also reach out to me, Jess at wonderbent.com. I'm terrible at email, so apologies for any delays, but I love to connect directly with people and you can find us that way. Wow. Amazing. Jess, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your experience. You've been doing this for nearly four years with Wonderment now. And thank you for bringing this type of technology to our beautiful e-commerce ecosystem. I think that people who have been in the trenches, as I said, right at the start, I think people that have been in the trenches, they've worked in retail, they've worked in tech, they've worked in e-com, maybe they've worked agency side, maybe they've worked merchant side, people that actually have legit real world experience in our industry, I think are the best placed to start bringing solutions back to that same industry. So good on you for doing that. I, it's hard work. I know, I know building a SaaS platform is bloody hard work. And I'm really impressed with what you guys have built over at Wonderment. I wish you every success. And I'd love to I'd love to maybe get you back on another 12 months or so and see what you've done with Wonderment in the meantime. So thank you so much. Oh, let's do that. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Are you a B2B or D2C e-commerce merchant? Then head over to greenwoodconsulting.net to learn how we can help you scale your business.